How are we doing folks? Welcome to another episode of Yoga Dave's Hobby Podcast, the podcast where I talk about everything from tabletop RPGs, tabletop board games, tabletop board games, uh, and everything those particular hobbies encompass. Um, today, uh, we are on episode 26, so yeah, um, we've, we've passed a quarter of the way to 100. Um, I, I, we do have a, a 13A. So technically it's 27, but um, we're on 26. Um, and today, um, I'm going to talk about a number of things. But uh, first, I'm going to remind you guys that um, Glasgow Game Gathering is this Saturday, the 29th of June. It's also the same day as Warhammer Day. Um, so that's, that's going to be a big day in the gaming calendar in Glasgow. Um, so... What Glasgow Gaming Gathering is, it's the Glasgow Game Group, um, the gaming uh, club. They are putting on a show at the Bell Houston Sports Centre um, from 10 o'clock to half four, I believe. Um, and, you know, it'll have board games, it'll have war games, it'll have RPG games. There's traders for all those things. There'll be clubs from all across the Scotland, I think there's some from part, other parts of the UK coming as well, um, and, you know, be showcasing the hobby, um, and if you only normally get your stuff from Static or at a particular place, so you get them online, you can actually go get stuff from a, from a trader, um, I think there's some dice places, um, there's the guys that do the um, Hero Forge STL file uh, printing, so you know I'm, I'm not sure whether or not they'll be, you know, I, d- I doubt they'll be actually printing stuff there, but you know, you never know. Um, but yeah, uh, it should be a good day. I will be there for a little bit. I'm not going to be there for a massive amount of time because I need to come home <laughs> and and have a nap because I'm working that night. Um, but. Um, yeah, it should be should be a good show. So it should be a good show. Um, G three are you know this this is the first time they are doing this. You know, it, I mean, it's been a long time since Glasgow's had a show. Let's be honest. Or a show worth of being called a show. It's been a long time since I've been to a show in Glasgow that has been worth me actually going. Um, but you know, G three are trying their best. Um, to make this a success. Um, they're also, you know, they're they're trying to change things a little bit. Where a lot of the, a lot of it isn't displays; it's participation stuff. So, you know, that was their that their idea. I was talking to Josh Halbert, who's a friend of mine, who's a member of the cl- the G three club, and he was saying their idea was, you know, getting people engaged, um, to you know play these games because, you know. A lot of the time you go to a show and people really don't, you know, they walk around and, you know, the displays are nice, but what they wanted was engagement. So, you know, people would come and they'd go, oh, I'd rather really get good time on that show. I think I'll go back. Um, That, you know, that kind of thing. But also, you know, building a hobby. You know, people come into these things a lot of the time and... You know, I I'll admit at times I've been a bit terse myself <laughs> at shows because you know I've, I've come in for a day of work and, and on a night of work and um, then go to the show or I've not been well or you know stuff like that. Um, 
but when you're doing participation games, you know, you have to be up for it. You have to be you know, really G'd up and really, really happy to get involved. And that's the kind of atmosphere that you really want to foster for Glasgow Game Gathering um, and for its future. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Also looking forward to not spending too much money. Um, <laughs> I, I say laughingly. Um, well, to be fair, I didn't spend that much money at... Uh, claim uh, Karenade so uh, yeah so that is Glasgow Game Gathering 29th of June this Saturday at the Bell Houston Sports Centre um, in Glasgow right so um, obviously last week I talked about contrast paints um, and I talked about what I was seeing from it what, what I thought about it myself even though I haven't tried them yet um what I seem to be finding right now is a lot of contrasting opinions. No pun intended, by the way, on that. Um, there is a lot of contrast opinions. A lot of people are like, oh, it'll be really good for new painters. Or a lot of people are like, oh, well, it won't be that good for new painters. It's good for speed painting, but, you know, new painters need to you know brush control. And you don't have a lot of brush control with the contrast paints. Um, or, you know, it... <laughs> I think a lot of it to do is with each individual painter, to be honest. Um, I think looking at it, you know, the contrast paints will be really good for getting an army out on the table very quickly. But I don't think, I mean, I don't think until I actually have had a shot at them that I ha- can have any opinion whatsoever that um, means much. Um, but, you know, I'm looking and I'm going, yeah. You know, I can talk about this all all I like, but it's not going to matter much until I've actually had a shot at it. Um, but what I'm going to talk about is the paints I do like. Um, I do like Games Workshop paints. I do like them. I love the washes. I've always loved the washes. Um, I'm not a big fan of Reikland Flesh Shade, um, as an actual Flesh Shade, by the way. Um, I much prefer the original. Um, Game Workshop Flesh Wash, which is done by Coat to Arms now. Um, they are the old... They are the company that did the old Games Workshop um, paint system, so, you know, that, um, that tracks. Um, but I do like the Games Workshop paints. I, I mean, I use them probably as much as I use my Vallejo paints now. Um, but, you know, I don't have... A single set of paints I use. I use regularly. I use Games Workshop paints. I use Vallejo paints. I use Army Painter paints. Um, I use Tamiya when I'm doing um, candy stuff, or I'm doing it for clear paints. Um, I use what else do I use? Coat Dams. I used Coat Dams. Um, and the colour shifting paints from Green Stuff World. I use all these things regularly. Um, I, I occasionally use Revel stuff. Um, and I occasionally use other paints. Um, but when I am actually painting, these are the the paints that I use. Now, I don't use Vallejo um, game colour. I don't use the the like the fantasy-based colours. I, what I use the Vallejo f- paints for are for the more natural tones um, except for the fluorescent paints 
I'll be honest. Um, you know, the thing with the game color, about from what I've gathered, the game color was meant to be um, Vallejo taking over Games Workshop's um, paints, but that never came to fruition. So they decided just to release them because obviously they've done all the research, they've done all the, all the bits and pieces. So they need to release. You know, they need to make money from it. Um, yeah, it's it's the Vallejo model color is what I use. Um, I use the Panzer series as well. Um, but the, all these paints are far more natural toned than the Game Workshop ones. The Game Workshop, the Game Color ones. Game Color ones are very bright, very vibrant. Um, I mean, obviously the Game Color ones were the the color is bright and vibrant. They are bright and vibrant, but they're not quite as in your face as the Game Workshop. Keep on going, Game Workshop ones. Um, the Game Color ones. Um, I've never tried the ones they used, they did specifically for Mecha. I think they call it a Mecha series, I can't remember. Um, but I've used uh, the Metallics as well. I quite like the Metallics. Um, I mean, I have talked about it before, but uh, the reason I like the Vallejo paints is the Vallejo paints, there's a lot of pigment to them. Um, so you can thin them down. Not so much that you can, you know, you make them a wash, but you can use them as a wash, which is quite nice. Um, and they do actually mix to do a good wash, but you can get you get a lot out of the pot. You, you know, the the little dropper bottle. You know, I, I'd probably do a one to one mix of the my thinner and the Vallejo paint for the most part. Sometimes you want it a little bit thicker, sometimes you want it a wee bit thinner, but, you know, it, it probably is a one-to-one um, mix of, um, I might not be wrong, I might be wrong, I can never tell how much I'm putting in at times, um, I just mix, and if it goes right, then it goes right, it's a one, I, I think it's a one-to-one mix when I'm actually putting it in the airbrush, might be a two-to-one when I'm doing, a, doing it um, via the brush. You know, I could be wrong. I a lot of the time it's it's trial and error with them because um, there's some of them that are thicker than others, um, and you know you don't have to mess about with them to get them so they they work well, um, which is different from the army painter ones. Um, the army painter ones. Um, you do have to do a bit of work with each of the dropper bottles to get them to work right. Apart from the shades, the shades tend to work very well. Um, but uh, looks APS has got a really good video on doing that. Um, I also feel the Citadel paints need need a bit of work as well. Um, what I normally do to actually get the best out of the Citadel paints is pre-thin them. Um, what I'll do is I'll put um, thinner uh, and fluid along with uh, a ball bearing, a glass bearing, glass ball bearing, and the drop in the bottle before once when I'm opening it and I, I mix them all up um, because I think you get more out of it 
and rather than having a Senate every time you go to it and maybe actually lose some of the paint maybe maybe it dries up because I find that unless you do it the Games Workshop paints dry up quite quickly but then that's just my um, my own um, experience I don't know whether or not everyone else has that experience but yeah um, the Coat Darms paints the Coat Day Art Darms paints are like the Games Workshop paints from the old days I had a bottle of mithril silver that I have had since I started painting I had a bottle of shining gold that my brother had before me and I had a bottle of ultramarine blue um, which all recently were finished um, and I started painting a long time ago um, I started painting ago when the bottles were the hexagon shape or the pentagon shape, I can never remember um, but you know the decahedronish um, or whatever is it a decahedron? I cannot remember how my, my cousin, my cousin, my niece Zoe can tell you like dodecahedron and stuff like that and I'm like ah, I don't even know what you're talking about um, but yeah so that but the round bottles that coat the arms use, um, my brother had those ones, and so it's it's a long time ago. Um, I still have washies from back then. Um, um, where was it going with us? I can't even remember where it was going with us. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, the coat the arms paints don't need any work. You don't need to do anything to the coat the arms paints unless you want to put them in dropper bottles. But uh, the thing with the coat arms paints is you don't really need to put them in dropper bottles. Um, obviously, you get less wastage with it with the dropper bottles, um, but you don't have the same spillage issue that you have with the Games Workshop pots. Because the coat arms paints, unless you actually knock them over, um, there's no way of them actually falling down. I've never ever had them fall down unless I've knocked one over. Um, but you know. For some weird reason, the Games Workshop paints want to fall over themselves a lot, um, especially with the washies. Um, and obviously, with dropper bottles, you don't have that issue because you're dropping them onto a pallet or you're dropping them into a, you know, a wet pallet or something like that. Um, and you're not, you don't have the, um, what's the, what's the, what's the, um. Oh, the issue that you have with mixing where you, you use up more paint than you need. Um, you know, obviously that help having a wet palette helps in that regard. Um, I do use a wet palette on occasion. Um, don't use it all the time. Because um, it depends really on what I'm doing. If I'm doing like a massive amount of figures and um, I know I'm going to reuse that paint, um, I will um, obviously use the wet palette so that there is stuff left over. You know, if I'm mixing, um, and obviously I need to know what I'm mixing, um, or I need to keep the mix because I'm, I'm going to use it later, I'll put it on the wet palette. Um, but if it's just straight from the bottle, um, drop a bottle, the, the tub, whatever it is, I will just use a palette. Or I will, I mean, with the Games Workshop one game, uh, game 
them sort of short ones. Obviously, because I pre-mix mine, um, I don't need to thin them. So, I can take them straight from the bottle. Um, I understand a lot of people would still thin them, but a little bit of water on your brush um, when you're putting it in the paint, and you don't need to, really. Um, and a lot of the time, there is excess on the the lid top, so that's all you need to use um, for the most part. And then if you need to use more, you just shake it up and you put more in the lid top. Um, but, you know, obviously there are, a lot of people prefer the dropper bottles. I mean, to be fair, I prefer the dropper bottles. Um, because, you know, I do, I, I like the, that you don't need to use an excess amount. Um, though I do, a lot of the time, use an excess amount. Because I still, 20 years of painting later, I still can't, 20 odd years of painting later, I still can't, you know, figure out how much I need and the rest of it. It's just, yeah, I'll drop that much out. Oh. Sometimes I don't drop enough. That happens. Most of the time, however, I use too much. Um, you know, I like the um, Green Stuff World paints as well, because the pre um, built with the shaker, see the ball bearing and the paint, so when you're shaking it, when you're shaking it, you, you can drop it because it's really well mixed um, opposed to you know obviously you know the Vallejo ones that don't come with them the army painter ones that don't come with them you know you really have to mix it when you put it in the palette as well at the same time um, and also the good thing about the green stuff or ones um, the color shifting ones is they're pre-thinned so you can put them in a brush and you can um, spray it did that with my brothers, um, my brothers, my brother-in-laws, um, birthday present from <laughs> last year that he still hasn't got, because um, I'm still building a diorama for it. Uh, <laughs> it's um, the green and purple color shifting paint, and I use, you know, I masked off the canopies and everything, um, canopies windows. That that's the word. It's not canopies, because um, that's for planes. Um, yeah, so uh, I masked off, mask and taped off the all the the glass bits, and just sprayed it with the airbrush, and it came out pretty good. Um, I mean, the thing is, the um, car shifting paints are built specifically for or, um, airbrushes, um, and also doing it over a gloss black um, undercoat. Or a gloss black um, primer, um, which is what I used. I used the Vallejo gloss one for the polyurethane gloss. I love the Vallejo polyurethane um, primers. They're fucking brilliant. Um, they very rarely chip. A a anything you put on them very rarely chips as well, unless you make it chip um, on purpose. Um, what else? Oh yeah. I'm going to be get, buying some MIG paints because MIG paints are the same as the green, green Stuff World. And I want to try them out. I want to try out a couple of different ones on top of the ones I already used to see whether or not, you know... The, the reason, the main reason that I use so many different um, brands of paint is um, 
even the color, a color that's meant to be the exact same, has a little bit of a um, pigment difference. It's a little bit of a color difference, um, which means when you're wanting a very subtle transition um, between the colors, you can achieve that without having to mix white or black into the paint. You can do it just with having those paints. Um, and I think that's, uh, I think that's a, a really nice thing to have. Um, I mean, that, that's how I do things. But, you know, it's a couple of extra steps that might take me a wee bit longer. Which is why um, having the, the contrast paints for when painting, um, you know, what do you call them? Uh, tabletop uh, quality armies and also hold armies, the contrast paints are going to be great because, you know, it takes out two or three steps that you don't, that means you don't need to do those two or three steps, um, which saves a fucking bundle of time. Um, it's like airbrush. I mean, it's like everything else. It's going to be a tool to help. It's not going to be, I mean, Games Workshop have been touting it as, as a game changer. It's not really a massive game changer. Um, it's just another tool in the toolbox of, for painters, in my opinion. From from looking at everything that I've seen, it is just that. It's just going to be another tool in the toolbox. I mean, obviously, as I said, I can't 100% say until I've had a shot of them. Um, I might be able to pick some up at um, the show. Um, because, as we all know, I still am not willing to set in, foot in um, Games Workshop. Glasgow, um, well you maybe not know it but there's a reason for it and you know I, I, I won't go on it, there's, there's a reason for it, um, it's a pretty petty reason I've got to admit um, but you know, sometimes I can be like that, I don't I don't dispute that um, but well, let's not go on it um, because if I start ranting I will rant for about 20 minutes um, so Ah, that's us done with me talking about paint because um, I've been doing it for about 15 minutes um, right so obviously um, as always Games Workshop have um, done a wee bit on pre-orders um, so they've done the rules, rules preview for the Repulsor Executioner <laughs> and the new June uh June Rider, um, do, 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 <laughs> and the, the tank version of the June Rider, um, interesting, very interesting, um, so the Executioner has two, well, it's got a heavy laser destroyer, which is a heavy two, strength 10, <laughs> minus 4 AP, 2d6 damage um, that would be a night hunter I would th I would think um, and then it's got macro plasma incinerator which heavy d6 um, strength 8 AP minus 4 and damage 1 but then you get supercharge because of course you always get supercharge with plasma weapons it's heavy d6 strength 9 minus 4 dam damage 2 so 
um, you can uh, use a quill on optics um, so if in your movement phase this model doesn't move moves the distance less than half its move characteristic it can shoot twice with this heavy laser destroyer or heavy macro plasma incinerator twice in the following shooting phase I'm not added the extra twice. The weapon must target the same unit both times, which you know that's fair enough. So if you are playing against uh, a knight, um, heavy army, having what heavy repulsor executioners, uh, heavy support slots, so you can take three in a battalion detachment, um, or you might take one. Um, a lot of heavy laser destroyers that you can fire twice if you don't move them and given it's got a 72 inch range if you can get a line of sight it's not going to be that hard to target one uh, and strength 10 AP minus 4 <laughs> 2d6 damage ouch that could be very very sore and you roll two dice so if you hit with both there's possible 12 or if you use equivalent optics 24 I mean you're not going to get 24 unless you know there's a um, rule that lets you re-roll or make a dice of 6 a damage or a damage dice of 6 I don't think there is honestly I play space marines but I don't really play space marines I play space wolves so it's not really space marines. Um so they've got the Scorpius Dune Rider as well. So that's designed to carry up to ten infantry models, dedicated transport for your Adeptus Mechanicus, um which a lot of people have been shouting out for, I believe. Um I'm not a admech guy, so I don't know. Um so it is weapon skill six plus, strength six, toughness six, wounds twelve, leadership eight, strength saves three plus. So it's move. Uh, 12 wounds, or 7 to 12 wounds is 12 inches, ballistic skill 3, it's got 3 attacks, um, 4 to 6 is 9 inches, 4 to 3, and then 1 to 3 is 6 inches, 3 plus 1, or 5 plus 1, and it's a hover platform, this model does not suffer the penalty for moving ring fire and heavy weapons. Hmm. So it's got twin heavy stubbers. Two Cognus Heavy Stubbers and a, a Twin Cognus Heavy Stubbers. Stubbers. So that's essentially four Heavy Stubbers. Uh, so you'll be firing on the move with maximum effect. Which means also the Plasma Disintegrator. Which has a Disintegrator Missile Launcher. Which is 36 range, Heavy D6, Strength 7, AP-2, D3. Um, Ferrumite Cannon um, is its main weapon. Um, and it's got a 40 inch heavy 3 strength 8 AP-3 D3 um, or you can have the Belros energy cannon which is heavy 3 D3 um, so possibly 9 attacks strength 6 minus 1 AP damage 2 uh, and this weapon can target units that are not visible to the bearer. So that's an infantry killer. That's a fucking heavy infantry killer. Um, 
you know, because that's what possible. I mean, you could take nine Space Marine bikes out for that, probably. I can't remember now. That's shocking. I can never remember how many hits a bike has got. Um, but also what they've been doing is the Apocalypse. Um, obviously, it's a new set of rules, so they're doing the, the focus, the faction focus for Apocalypse. Um, so as so far, they have done... Uh, do, do, do. Space Marines, obviously. Chaos Space Marines, Orcs, Astra Militarum, Chaos Demons, Craft World, and Adeptus Mechanicus. Um, the faction, the Demonicus Legion, Legionus is what they call the uh, Legion, Legionese Demonica <coughs> is the name for the, the demons. Uh, and obviously they've got all the, the stuff about them. So top units, Rotagus, obviously the um, <coughs> Norgo um, named demon, um, Greater Demon of Norgo, the Great Unclean One. Um, and then you've got Fiends of Slanish. Are they new figures? They look like new figures. Um, which have got Psychic Backlash. Um, when your opponent selects a unit within 12 inches of any unit from your army, this ability to manifest psychic powers before it's effective resolve, roll 1d12 if the result is equal or greater to the leadership characteristics of the unit manifesting the p this power. Place one blast marker next to them. They cannot use, you cannot use both this ability and the perils of what command they set in the reaction to the same psychic phase. Hmm, interesting. And then you've got Scar Brand, the, blood, the name Bloodthuster of Corn. It's pretty fucking evil. Let's be honest. Um, because he's rage embodied. Yeah, no shit. He's a a corn heavy um greater demon. Um, so they've got command assets. I'll I'll talk about apocalypse and in greater detail when I actually buy it. Um, obviously. Um, so they've got psychic powers. Infernal Gateway. If your command asset is a psychic power, this command asset is a psychic power. You can only use this command asset if you in your deck if your army includes at least one um, legion legion legionese demonica cinch psychic unit. This command asset can be used in the action phase when used. Select one. Um, each power unit from your or each cycle unit from your army to manifest this power. Then select one point on the battlefield that's within 24 inches of that cycle unit. Roll one d12 for each unit within six inches of that point, subtracting one for the result of the units. Roll be, being rolled as a light character on a six plus. We'll place one blast marker next to that unit being rolled for. Don't know what blast markers are for, but you know we'll find out when we actually play and read the rules. So that's kind of the format for the the faction focus. Is it gives you a little bit about the playstyle, um, it gives you your top units, and, it, and then it gives you your top command assets. Um, and as I said, once we read a wee bit more about, well, I find out a wee bit more about Apocalypse. I'll talk about it a wee bit more. Um, we've also got the Forge World pre-orders. Up, um, that's the Eben Keshig, the White Scars Legion um, stuff. So 
That'll be the Tatros pattern Terminator armor. Um, doo -doo -doo. Guys, that, oh, and then I think that's it. They look fucking cool. They look more Black Templars than they do um, White Scars, to be honest. But you know, it's probably because they're black, um, armored with the white um, shoulder pads. Uh, but yeah. They look pretty cool. If I wasn't a Space Wolf player and they were in the Forge World, I might actually buy them. Just to paint them. Uh, yeah, so. You know, there's a lot of stuff from Games Workshop coming out um, about the apocalypse. Um, I think it will be an interesting um, addition to the 40k universe um, of games because I mean I love um, I, I mean I enjoy playing 40k but I do much prefer playing um, what's the name it? <laughs> I can't even remember the name it now. Um, Kill Team because Kill Team you know you can get a couple of games uh, in a night um, whereas it's 40k Sometimes we're lucky if we actually finish a game. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's enough on Games Workshop for today for me. So if you have been following Twitter, you will know that... Well, if you've been watching following the lead Legends of Hamanshire on Twitter, that is not my Twitter, my personal Twitter, the game Twitter, uh, you will know that we've been putting a lot of lore out um, as well as a lot of stuff about, um, well, not a lot of stuff. The last couple of days, I've been doing a couple of things about the rules. So, yesterday I did the fate, what what happens with fate points um, and the deck. Obviously, can't call it a fate deck because Weird have got that down. I believe that's a trademark for Weird. Um, um, and obviously, they, they might take exception to that. Um, well, we're obviously going to have to change that name, but it, the working title is... It's the same as the working title for the game. It might not be Legends of Hammer and Sharon by the end. Um, but, you know, I, I put a little... I put a lot about that on Twitter. I also put it on the Facebook page. I also put it on in the Facebook group. Um, but the day before as well, what I did was I talked about um, how we were going to be do, going about doing magic items. Um, and, you know, it's not always going to be lore, it's not always going to be rules. You know, there's going to be days where I don't post anything. I'm just trying to give people a flavour of, of the setting, but also a flavour of the rules. So, you know, if they want to play it, or if they, if they look at it and they go... Oh, that that looks like it might actually be fun, you know. That that's what we're trying to do. We're not trying to, you know, try to sell the game before we've actually finished it, which you know, not don't always work. But you know, we also want people to play test it, um, to and also we want it as accessible as we possibly can make it. Which is why we're doing all the online tools so people can, you know, play online. They don't need to play. Um, we'll, we'll be obviously working with Roll20 
D20 probably at some point. Um, I'm going to be starting using World Anvil. Uh, When I was on Twitter last night, um, there was a guy talking, blind guy, um, called Brandon Cole, I believe. Shocking, I forgot his name already. Um, ah, Brandon Cole, um, who was talking about um, computer games and uh, making them accessible to the the blind. But um, I thought, well, here's an idea. Why not make an RPG accessible to to blind people? Obviously, you know, you need need to find somewhere where we can get it printed in braille. You need to get braille dice. Need to be able to convert things like the cards and stuff so they can be used for people who can't see, obviously. Um, but stuff like that. And not just, you know, um, blind players, but deaf players and, you know, hard of hearing players and uh, anyone. Because we don't want it just to be for people like us. Which, you know, obviously is why we want diversity and um, the actual, you know, characters that we we bring into it, um, but not diversity for diversity's sake, you know, you know, it, if we're playing on Millennius, obviously Millennius is mostly African-based um, societies, so yes, you have Egyptians, but you have Egyptians that would be evolved, you know, the, the chariots, are actually historically accurate. Their armor's historically accurate, but you know, obviously, um, at, at points, well, at most of the time, during the Egyptian um, Empire, they didn't have much armor. Um, you know, chariot riders, for the most part, only the you know the pharaohs or the the, the guys that were armed, or the what have you. Actually, I can't remember now. Shocking. I used to have an Egyptian army. Most of the time they weren't actually armoured. Um, and, and very little armour was hard. But you update it so it's more more closely what they would have if they had continued to evolve. Um, so, you know, um, steel armour... Um, leather armor for the chariot riders and the um, not the the runners, you know, um, that kind of th- stuff. So it was light, um, maybe sturdier um, construction for the um, chariots, um, but also you know we're going off. That's just one subject. We don't want it to be oh the everyone there's like them, you know, because, you know, that's what, I mean, I love, um, Raymond E. Feist's, uh, all of his work, but, Kesh is basically Egypt, um, but fantasy, um, and I, I mean, yeah, it's done alright, but it's very much a parody of Egypt, um, but you know we don't want to do that. But, but you know that's not the only culture. You know, obviously, the Maasai. You know, Zulu. You know how they would be 
if they had evolved or how, how they might have been if they evolved and um, that's what we want to do um, it's the same for you know the Japanese the Chinese Koreans you know and and um, you know Indians you know you name it if it's based on a culture we want it to be an evolved version of that culture um, like armor wise you know we don't want to parody them um, you know one of the main gods um, you know uh, is Warkania Warkania I can never remember how I pronounced the bloody names from the beginning um, so he's the Hamanshronian god of duty, loyalty, righteousness and goodly law he's the chief patron god patron god of lawful good paladins, one of the greater pantheon, known as the even handed warrior, now Wakarnia was originally the duty and honour god of Molinius, um and you know um, he, all of his um, or for the most part his avatars come from the lands of Assyria known as the heart of Hamanchiron so as where it's believed all humans came from that part of um, the world when it was one continent that's where they believe all humans were came from um, and such Makarni is normally depicted as a dark brown skinned man uh, around 6 feet tall garbed in modern steel armour but traditional elliptical shield made of buffalo hide, shoot, buffalo hide um, a spear and a rongu club um, so essentially he is you know Isaria 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 Again, I can never pronounce the name right, even though I made them up. You know, or originally, um, the Assyrian people were very much like the Maasai of Kenya and northern Tanzania. So, you know, you know, they carry, you know, evolved versions of, you know, their weaponry, you know, and shields and... Um, and you know, they've evolved their own steel armor, like. Um, but it might not necessarily be always had. You know, the Assyrians depict them obviously as how you know their armor looks like. You know, Val Valentarians do it how their armor looks like. You know. Um, from Rostians, you know, they're Viking-like, so it'd be in their kind of armour. Um, it's it's not always depicted, I mean, he's always generally depicted as, you know, dark brown skin, um, carrying a rungu, carrying a traditional spear, carrying a traditional shield, but in that culture's armour um, but you know it's always he's always got those weapons um, no matter where no matter who depicts them because that's how they always see them um, and obviously you know these things can evolve over time and you know we're, we're going to be doing the same for every god you know wherever they came from originally you know, it's going to have, they're going to have vestiges of that culture, 
Um, but we don't want to, you know, take it too much and make it, you know, we, we want to make it so it, you know, people will recognise, you know, that race comes kind of from here or that people kind of come from here but there's differences if you get what I mean um, they're not exactly you know not exactly for Northern Reavers are kind of Viking but not at the same time because um, their ships are different um, their armor's kind of similar but you know and their shields and the way their weapons look are kind of similar um, but their ships are different Um they are um, more I think probably darker of skin like more um, Latin in skin colour um, rather than obviously pale white um, as they would be <laughs> if they were um, actually Scandinavian um, you know so there's, there's little differences you know they act very much like Vikings but you know, and dress very much like Vikings, but there's there's differences. That you always got to take things as much as you can, but don't parody them and don't make them fucking exact. Um, because you know it doesn't work a lot of the time um, for me. So I don't I don't want to get into that trap. Yeah, I mean, it's like the Plains Goblins. I mean, the Plains Goblins are, you know, warg riders. Um, so you could depict them like Games Workshop depict them. You could depict them as, like, Bedouin raiders and stuff like that, but Bedouin raiders wouldn't fit in <coughs> certain continents. Um, because, you know, okay, they'll fit in Millennius because, you know, that kind of outfit would work, um, obviously in the deserts of Millennius, but it doesn't fit for Valentaria, it doesn't fit for, you know, any of the other, um, what you call them, continents. It only works for Millennius, so, yes, by all means, the Plains Goblins, well, Desert Goblins, really, of um, Millennius would be garbed like that because they've got to protect themselves from the sun and all the rest, that kind of shit. But, um, you know, the same ones from, um, you know, Plains Goblins from Valentaria are going to be, you know, ke- heavily kitted out in furs because it's freezing up there um, compared to the, to, to the rest of um most of um Hamanchiron. So, you know they're not gonna be cultural you know, there's gonna be you know, cultural identifications, but not everyone's gonna look the bloody same. Um because it wouldn't work. Um I don't really think that it ever works very well. Um when you try and do that kind of thing. But, you know, that's my opinion. Um, I'm entitled to my opinion. Other people are entitled to their opinion. Um, I have talked a lot already today. Um, and it's almost 50 minutes. And I've only talked about two different things. Um, yeah, so 
last week um, we played at the Focus Club. I didn't get it on video, um, which is actually annoying me a little bit right now. Uh, a game called Space Base, which is the first game I have actually won at the Falkirk Club, I believe, that hasn't been a cooperative game. Um, but it was really good fun. Um, without that, you know, it, that's the thing. I have played a lot of board games at the Falkirk Club at this point, and as I say, that's the first time I've won a game that wasn't cooperative. Um, but it's never been about that. It's about the fun. It's the thing you need to, you know, I think gets lost and to a lot of people is it's not all about winning it's fun to win it's great when you win but also it's the, the you know sitting around the table having a laugh with your mates gaming that that's something people need to get more of and, and get into their head that that's what it's about it's not about um what you know winning at all cost you know obviously if you're playing tournament games you know winning winning is the objective but you know winning at all cost is not really what you want to win at all cost players don't really um survive in places i mean especially in clubs that i play in you don't really survive that long because nobody wants to play with you Every time I say that, that sounds bad. Um, nobody wants to play a game with you. And, um, yeah. I mean, I I don't know why, but, you know, I, I, I actually tend to enjoy games more that I lose than the ones that I win. But, you know, obviously, that great, yes, you've won. That, that buzz when you win a game is great, but, you know so many other things that you can do in a game that, you know, if you don't win, it's trying to get, get a strategy to win, but, you know, you played the way that you wanted to play. And, and to be fair, I, I had a plan going into that game when, when I, I started, when Alistair, one of the guys, the guy that had the game, um, was explaining the rules. I thought to myself, right, I'm going to go for that. I'm going to go that way and I'm going to go that way. And, and everything seemed to come out as as well as that I could get it which was great because you know um, what what I do is I thoroughly recommend you go out and buy that game because you know it was fucking awesome and it'll be one on my list of games to buy uh, <laughs> that seems to be ever growing um, the one that Paul Cook was talking about um the one he was on the podcast. Uh, let me try to find the name of it again. Uh, he actually posted something about it the other day. Uh, uh, Darklight Memento Mori. Now, it is 120 quid to buy it, which is probably about the, you know, you know, for a miniatures game of that size. It's probably not um, far off uh, what I would put it at myself, but it's a lot of money to be um, putting on a game that I probably play once every couple of months. Um, 
That's why I stopped doing Kickstarters. Because I was buying for I was buying figures. I wasn't buying the games. Um You know, I bought the Walking Dead game for the figures. Because, you know, I'm not a big Walking Dead fan, so, you know, I'm like, mm, I'm really not bothered by... But the figures are nice. You know, the terrain bits that you got with it were quite nice. That's cool. And then the game's game's a good game, but, you know... Um, I bought Conan because the, the figures are beautiful. Um, didn't buy it for the game. Game's, game's a good game. I enjoy the game. But I didn't buy it for the I didn't buy the game for the, the game, I bought it for the figures. Same as Zombieside Black Plague. Bought that for the figures. Same as Massive Darkness, bought that for the figures. On Kickstarter. These were all the Kickstarters that I've done. Um I, you know, specifically did the Dungeons and Doggies one because it was figures. That was what I you know, I was like, Oh cool. Dog figures. Uh, that have um you know classes the wear wear and all the armor and stuff that's cool um and also help me get my missus into playing D D um and RPGs that that'll be cool um so that's why I bought them every Kickstarter was for figures it wasn't for um which got it wasn't for the games and and whereas I have enjoyed Conan I have enjoyed Massive Darkness I've enjoyed um some um the Walking Dead I've enjoyed um Conan. I never bought those games for the games. I bought them for the figures. That would be exactly what I did for Dark Light uh <laughs> forgot the name already. Shocking David. Dark Light Memento Mori. Yeah. Um, but there was there's also one that is is basically a hero quest clone. Um, I, I don't need a hero quest clone because I have the original. I have fucking adeptus, adeptus, advanced hero quest. I own both. They're at my dad's, but I own both. Um, and I could play both of them. Uh, <laughs> rather than having this this clone, it's currently on Kickstarter. I think at some point, you know, obviously once it comes out, um, I will probably buy it. But uh, its name is Altar Quest. It uh, currently has 34 hours to go. So if you want to get it, go in fast. It is £109 for the quest tier, which doesn't get you everything. Um, do, do, do. Because there are add-ons that you can buy. There's uh It gives you an, a Kickstarter exclusive expansion. Um, obviously all the unlock stretch goals. But also you have... Uh, add-ons. Hero Dice Pack. Base Ring Pack. You can get neoprene board maps. Um, which <laughs> looks very, very cool. Um, to, to, you can get the map bundle because there's two of them um, for $35. You've got the first four hero packs, so the, the original heroes of this particular world for $25. Uh, 
and you've got the Runes of Arcspire campaign box, which is another $35. So, um, if you wanted everything, 5, 10, 45, So, you'd have to pay 200 what, $10, $15, I think. Um, that's obviously without postage and packaging, so you're talking... Um, probably about 150, 160 pound, um, for everything that you can get in it. But you know, um, Adam and Brody, Brady Sandler are the guys that developed it. Uh, Brady Sandler. This is a discussion I had with people the other day, um, that I have no idea what the names of most people. Um, so Brady Sandler, um, do 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 Arkham Horror, he's been involved in, um, he's been involved in a couple of things, um, Adam Sandler, um, yeah, he's been involved Avatar the Board Game, Awful Fantasy Adventures. Yeah, so they've both been involved in a couple of different things. Um, Arkham Horror I've heard of, obviously. Um, others I haven't. But, you know, it, it, it looks very much like a Hero Quest clone. But, yeah, I'll play differently. Because, obviously, you've got to play differently. Because, otherwise, you get sued up your bum. Um... But it's probably something I will pick up at some point. It's the same, you know, I I keep on saying to myself I'm not going to go buy more board games with figures, but then I go and buy more board games with figures. Um, <laughs> but yeah, if you want to go have a look at it, it's on Kickstarter. As I said, it'd be about 150 quid, 220 or dollars. That's not including postage and packaging. Obviously, you have to you pay probably about thirty five about thirty five dollars to Europe, I think, and then probably fifteen twenty to the U during to the US and Canada and places like that. Um, it's all dependent, obviously, on local postage stuff and where it gets um, thingy from shipped from. Um, I think I've talked enough today. Uh, I will be back next week with hopefully the Infinity. Next round of the Infinity RPG because we're playing that tonight. Looking forward to it very much. Um, <sighs> so, obviously, as I was saying in the beginning, Glasgow Game Gathering this Saturday, 29th of June at the Bellhouston Sports Centre. I will be there for a little bit. Um, I will be at the Glasgow District um, table when I'm there, um, for the most part. So come by, say hello if I'm there, if you're there. Um, and I think that's it for today. I'm going to say good day and happy hobby.